Seems like I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, how many of you missed last Sunday? Yeah, we had a great time anyway, right? Good to see you back. I'm going to tell you a couple of things uh, before we get into the message. One, I love you. I missed you. I love you. And uh, sometimes, almost as importantly, I like you. <laughs> you ever been in love with someone, but you don't like them? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <clears throat> but it's, uh, it's wonderful to be back together. And, and uh, I was going to have a swap snow stories, but we don't have time for that today. So we'll move on to what's in front of us. Today is... We've been talking about a number for about a month. It's the number 38. I want to talk to you about Children's Hope Chest and the ministry that we have that is, it, it can be ours in Guatemala. And if this is your first time here, uh, next week starts a new series on the mind, what the Bible says and what God has said about your mind. And uh, so I encourage you to come back for that. This is kind of an unusual weekend. So uh, I'm going to be in two Bible passages. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3, way in the back of your Bible. It, it looks like 1 John, or the epistles of John, 1 John 3. Put a marker there, and then we'll go from there. Go to St. John, or the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and that's where we'll start. Now, dear Father in heaven, we, we tell you, too, that we love you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to love what you love, hate what you hate, embrace what you embrace, Help us to do that. May we be Christian through and through, not just on our way to heaven, but in our minds, in our hearts, our soul, our actions, our motives, everything about us, all of our energy, all of our might, all of our strength may be in the pursuit of Christ, who is not only our Savior, but now we learn he's also our friend by means of your Holy Spirit, our comfort, our guide, our convictor. And you, our Father, we're in the family. We feel so privileged. Thank you. Uh, teach us, may your, your Holy Spirit work in us, maybe right now, in a way it's never been done before, taking us to new territory we've never been to before. We love to sing the songs together, to hear the word. We love the fellowship and miss it when we don't get it. Now, would you speak to us through your word, we pray in Christ's name. And the church says, amen? Amen. amen. Well, <clears throat> have you ever gone, it's uh, supper time, and you go to your fridge, and you open your refrigerator, and you just start pulling out dishes from previous meals? And you pull out a plate, and it's got foil over it, and oh, wow, that was really good. And then you pull in a bowl out, and you, you get a box of salad. Do you have any of you buy salad in boxes now? How many of you are box people? How many of you are bag people? How many of you don't know what salad is? Okay, you get a bag of salad. Yeah. And so you, you pull that out, and you, and you start pulling dishes out or bowls out, and you, next thing you know, you have a half a dozen things on the island, none of which went together. And then you unwrap them, and you, you set them out, and you go, oh my goodness, we have a whole meal, and it, it actually looks pretty good. It fits together. And you never intended that to be a meal on its own. But have you ever had roast beef after this, the first day, the second day? Le leftover roast beef has had time to kind of sit, and it just, isn't it better? Pot roast? Anybody had like, oh, oh, pot roast with the carrots are now, you know, they've been hanging with the onions, been in the tomato sauce, and the beef is just somehow better, right? Isn't it better the second day? And so you realize this is really good. Now, why are you telling us this, Dave? Because we're going to lunch soon? No, I'm not. What I'm telling you is this. 
We had a lot of things to do in January. We didn't get them done. That's number one. And, and this is the end of January. And then we missed a snow day last Sunday. So now we're even further behind. And so I have like five messages to preach. I'm not laughing. And so I'm going to the refrigerator right now, verbally, and I'm going to start flinging stuff onto the island. And you're going to go, this doesn't go together. And it was never meant to be served like this. And I'm telling you, when we're done, it's going to all fit together. It's going to be a wonderful feast at the table. But you've got to hang on because it's a lot of pieces today because we're going to cover a lot of turf. And, and in light of that, we, what you're going to find is this. It actually does fit together. And the reason it does is because it's all central to the very themes that Christ came for. He came to give to us life, abundant life, forgive us of our sins. But when he, when he was asked the most important thing, he said, I want you to be devoted to worship and to connect with God's people. I want you to grow in your faith, Matthew 22, Matthew 28. And I want you to learn to serve, love each other, and serve from the heart. And I want you to share the best message in the world. And so those five key ingredients of the Great Commission, Great Commandment, are what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it here and in the community, in the county, around the world, because we need this. And, and while it looks like separate pieces, it'll all fit together and it'll be beautiful when we're done. Now, let's begin in John chapter 13. When Jesus is speaking in this passage, and when we get to John 13, there are four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We get to John he tells the story differently than Matthew, Mark, or Luke do. And he, he jets through Jesus' birth, growing up years, gets right to his adult ministry, and, and includes a whole bunch of theology. But as he hits the middle part of the book, now he slows from 60 miles an hour down to 30. And as he hits chapters 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, it actually slows down to 15 miles an hour and 10 miles an hour and 5 miles an hour. And the reason he's doing that is he's wanting you to get the very discussions, because Jesus is going to give us the big idea here, and here it is. He's saying, you know the law, they knew the law, they knew not only the Ten Commandments, but they knew hundreds of other laws that were added to the Ten Commandments, and he says, I'm going to tell you what's most important, and it is, say it with me out loud, verses 34 and 35, would you read it with me out loud? A new command I give you, love one another as I loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 13, 34, 35. You see, the mark of the Christian is love. Let that soak in. The mark of the Christian is love. The mark of the Christian, everyone will know, by this all men will know that you are my disciples not by your church attendance, not by the fact that you're gone every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock from your driveway, your car is missing. Not because of your adherence to a creed, as good as that creed might be. Not because of your activities that you do or the activities you don't do. Not because of your friends or your education. By this, all men and women will know that you are my disciples. Not by your political affiliation. Certainly not by your denominational loyalty or lack thereof. Not because you are financially wealthy or that you've committed yourself to being in poverty. The world will not know that you are a follower of me, Jesus said, unless you love. The mark of the Christian is love. You want to convince another person of the validity of your faith? It's going to be your loving actions. And the more they need Jesus, the more annoying they are, the less lovable they are. You know, we love to love people who are lovable, don't we? 
it's easy for you to love me, right? Because I'm so lovable. I mean, what's not to like about me? I'm pleasant, kind, gentle, understanding, and humble, by the way, humble. <laughs> it's easy to love lovable people. It's harder to love unlovely people or cantankerous, agitated people. Those are the ones who need it the most. You're saying, well, they don't deserve the love. You're right, nor do we deserve the love. But God pours out his love on us, and that, that's the biblical picture. It's like it's pouring out on us by giving to us his son. And when you expend your life for the good of others, that's when you can use the word love. Everything else is just kind of like like. You've met um, you know, a couple, it could be in high school or college or young adulthood, they're not in love, but they're in serious like. You know what I'm talking about? We think, well, we're not sure. We're to the love point. We're just to the like point. Then they find out other things about each other. They're not in like anymore. Now they're in toleration. And now they're in agitation. Then they eventually put up with each other, or they have to choose to love. And I want to talk with you about four dimensions of that love. And uh, the first is this. The mark of the Christian is love, and that love extends, number one, to every life stage. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit, my heart, you knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, read that. You created my, that's personal pronoun. You knit me, my, another personal pronoun. You are not substance in your mother's womb. You are a person in your mother's womb. Life is sacred, begins at conception. That love that Jesus loves us with that kind of love extends to every stage of life, no matter how small. All a baby needs in, in the mom's womb is nutrition and a safe place. You know what? That's all a toddler needs, nutrition and a safe place. Think about it. That's all an eight, eight-year-old needs, nutrition and a safe place. Once they're 21, they need to get their own nutrition <laughs> in their own safe place. Can I get an amen? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> but you understand... Just because they're in the womb doesn't mean they're less valuable. God says, you knew me even in my mother's womb. You knit me together there. I praise you. Why? Because I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Even before my mother knew she was pregnant, you loved me. You knew who I was. You knit me together. And you know, and, and women who've been pregnant know this is not a substance. This is a real person. I've had women tell me, my, my child's musical. They danced all night. Mine's going to be a ball player. How do you know that? Because they fought all night. They know, you know the personality of your child sometimes even before birth. And it doesn't extend just to birth. It's through every stage of life. Some of us would like to say we're pro-life. That's nice, but we're really not pro-life. We're just pro-birth. And by that, what I mean is we care about the baby until the baby's born, and then we don't really care anymore. No, no. God is... is values the life at every stage. Isaiah chapter 46, even in your old age and gray hairs, I am he. By the way, just because you have gray hair does not mean you are of old age. Thank you. Thank you for that. I may be gray, but my brothers are bald. I'll take gray every day. Even in your old age, gray hair, and when your, your hair is gray, he says, I am he. I am the one who sustains you. The Lord cares about old people, too. I made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. You see, the sanctity of life is not just 
for the preborn and then the born and then the toddler and then the adult, it extends through every stage of life. It's why you're taught to respect your elders. We value every stage. This past Sunday was uh, Sanctity of Life weekend. We prayerfully ask the Lord to help us get it right as a nation. We want to get it right. We aren't there yet. We never have been a perfect nation, never will be a perfect nation, but we want to get this sanctity of life thing right. Pray that we get there. Why? Because the love that God has for us, that love extends to every stage. Number two, that love extends to every life challenge. And from 2 Samuel chapter 9, we read about a guy by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, you don't know, that's not a normal name that you just, oh, we're going to name our son Mephibosheth. This is a guy whose dad's Jonathan, his granddad is Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Saul dies. David's the new king. David could have killed Mephibosheth. No one would have bothered with that because they would have viewed Mephibosheth as a threat to the kingdom. He could have put him away. Not only does he not put him away, but he lets him eat at the, at the king's table. He treats him with royalty, treats him really well. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. In other words, people had to help him get to the table, help him get down, help him care for himself, help provide for his needs. Why? Because he was a special needs guy. And here's the point. Love extends to every life challenge. I read it again from uh, the book of Acts. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time to pray. It was about three in the afternoon. Now, there was a man who was lame there from birth. And, and he is being carried into the temple. He had to rely on people his whole life. What I love about this, and by the way, a miracle's about to happen in Acts 3. Don't miss out on that. But what I love about it, even prior to the miracle, what I find amazing is these guys actually talk to him. They listen to him. They value him. Why? Because his life matters. It doesn't matter that he can't walk or that he has a different disability. And I've met kids, I've met kids who are bipolar, and I, I wonder, just how brilliant are you? You know, someday we're going to untangle that thing in your head, and you're going to invent something. You're going to solve cancer. You're going to do something phenomenal. I've met kids in, somewhere in the sphere, in the breadth of autism, and I just wonder how wonderful it would be if we could figure this thing out. It's the wonder of science to it all. Because down deep, there's some great kids. And you know what? Those people matter to God. And you know what? They teach us something. I'm convinced that when you're around people with different abilities, and you may say inabilities, but God gives them those inabilities for you to be able to see your abilities and see the abilities they have you didn't know they had. I was around a blind guy once, and the guy could smell and listen better than I ever thought about smelling and listening. He was very observant with the other senses of his life, put me to shame with what I did not notice. So, God loves not only you, we like that, but he likes every stage, loves every stage, and that love extends to every life challenge. And one of the great things about SPC, you may not know it, but on Sundays, we're known as a place in Southern Maryland for kids with disabilities. We, have, we, we meet the special needs of of families here in an unusual way. We train our workers differently. We adjust our ratios because the ratios have to be different when you have special cases. And, and we handle them differently. And it's wonderful. It gives the, the parents a break, the caretakers a break. But the reason we do that is because life is very sacred. It's very honored. And we value every challenge of life. You know, but in another couple of weeks, we're going to be hosting safe nights. And 
uh, safe nights tables at the back in the auditorium today instead of the lobby because we wanted to give children's hope chests room in the lobby and we didn't want to lose safe nights benefit. But if you want to help us with safe nights, that'd be a wonderful thing. And partnering with Lifestyles is a wonderful thing. Why do we do that? Because the love that God gives to us and extends towards us is for every life challenge. And um, it's a beautiful thing, and you realize just how privileged you are and how wonderful you, uh, the people that you minister to, how much they bless you. Number three, not only is that love extending to every life stage and every life challenge, but that love extends to every life ethnicity. The psalmist said, I will praise you among the nations, not just among the people, but among the nations. It's God who creates the nations. He says, I praise God among the nations, that he, he actually transcends, get this, the glory of God and the praise of God transcends culture and language and tradition. It covers it. Now, we love the fact that we love people of multi-races and multi-cultures and multi-traditions. We love that until it gets into our space, right? Because I want people to be like me. Right? And then it's when you get out of people like me, you're with other people, then you realize they don't do it right. Then later you realize they're doing it way better than I would do it. Because you realize you don't have it all figured out. It's humbling to realize that. And it's God who does that to not only humble us, but to teach us what we don't, not just what we don't know, but how much we have yet to learn. Um, from the book of Acts, chapter 17. From one man he made all the nations stop there. From one man, Acts is reaffirming what we know to be true from the book of Genesis, which is the creation account. Now, here's the beauty of this. From one man, he creates all the nations. All the ethnicities go back to one man, which reaffirms that, that we all come from the same place, which really means the guy down the row from you that's kind of annoying to you, the guy at the office you really don't like, I have good news for you. You're, you're related. Somehow, we're not sure, but you're related. It all goes back. And from one man, he made the nations. It's the word ethnos here. And the idea of that is that, is that there will be different um, sectors of the world, read with me, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out appointed times in history and the boundaries. Those are the sectors. So they're going to live in different places, speak different languages, have different cultures. And God did this. Why? Verse 17, so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not that far from any one of us. So from one man affirms creation. He made the nations. So get rid of the idea, oh, United Nations and all this stuff about nations getting along, all those programs, those aren't, that, that wasn't, it wasn't United Nations' idea to have lots of nations. It was God's idea. This actually is there so that, verse 27, we would realize we are desperate in need of help. We cannot get along. And because we can't get along, we really need the Lord. God did this so that we would seek him. God puts us in national settings here on the earth to see just how desperate we are. We realize we can't get along. We, we turn to him, although he is not that far from us. This is very Godward. It's very good news driven. It's about Jesus who came to be the Savior, not just of the per people in my people group and in my language, but people all the way around the world, every ethnicity. God is bigger than our little world. He teaches us that, that there's a vastness of the creation and of the galaxies, and at the same time, 
He teaches us we're overwhelmed by the intricacies of ethnicity. People, we have to be honest, people who are different than us just drive us crazy, don't they? I mean, they're just different than us. I remember um, laughing one day at, uh, I went to go do something, I was with a Latino buddy of mine, and, and he, he begins to chuckle, and I said, what's the deal? And he said, well, you're, you're doing it your way. It's the, he, he would say the gringo way. And uh, I said, yeah, that's the right way. He goes, yeah, for you. And then he made some comment like, I'll bet you sign your name at the bottom of a letter too. I go, yeah, what's wrong with that? He goes, well, they don't know who it's from until they're done reading it. <laughs> that makes no sense. Oh, yes, it does. It's the way I grew up. It's America, dude. You know. Unfortunately, he happened to know the Bible. And he said, just read. I, I read. And you know, when you read the epistles, Paul writes, how does he write the letter? Paul, an apostle for Jesus Christ to the churches. He gives his name first. And I looked up at my buddy and said, I'm an idiot. He goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got that figured out. You see, the way we do it, we think is the right way to do it. And what God uses is the ethnicities to not only humble us, but to teach us just how creative, how vast the, the world is and how much we really need each other. Each other. That's why we say every life matters. Every stage, every challenge, every ethnicity, God is very pro-life of every kind of life. And we love that when we're talking about us, but when we're not talking about us, we're not quite so concerned. And then a disaster happens, and then all of a sudden we get sympathetic. This last Wednesday was Worldwide Holocaust Remembrance Day. And we remember this last Wednesday that and if you've not gone through the Holocaust Museum downtown, you ought to go, take a day and go. I did not want to go. I knew I should go. I was so grateful that we went. But in the 1940s, some six million Jews were lost in the Holocaust. You do understand that right before the Holocaust, worldwide sympathy for Jewish people was not very high. Immigrants who wanted to come to other countries, the Jews who wanted to leave the countries they were in and go to other countries, there was not an open-arm policy. It was fairly negative towards the people. Six million Jews died in the 1940s. Now, just to get the equivalent of that, Maryland just passed the six million number in population just recently. We've been hanging at five and a half million for a number of years. We just bumped to six million recently. That means, if you were to put the Holocaust in perspective, that's the equivalent of losing the entire state of Maryland, the entire city of Baltimore, the entire city of Annapolis, of Frederick, of Bethesda, you know, all of Montgomery County. You've driven through Montgomery County. You've driven through Clinton, all the traffic. You've gone across the bridge onto Kent Island to Salisbury. All of that would be gone all the way down to Lexington Park, out to Hagerstown. Every town, every, every mall, all of that would be gone. That would be the Holocaust. If it's hard to get your head around and you think of it more in geography terms, if you want to get to 6 million, it's more than the entire population of Wisconsin or more than the entire population of Minnesota or more than the entire population of Colorado. That's how many people died. 
And the hard part of it was, was there was not a lot of sympathy about it when it was happening. You see, that love that God has extends to every ethnic group. The mark of the Christian is love. And we need to love what God loves, his people. Uh, just, just a week ago, we remembered Martin Luther King, two weeks ago now. And uh, the, the Dr. Martin Luther King's a wonderful model for us. When we got snowed in last week, it gave me a chance to reread uh, Letters from Birmingham Jail, which is a great read. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. I also read another book by uh, Brian Loritz that's called, it's the flip of that, it's called Letters to a Birmingham Jail. It's, it's a great, great read. But what uh, Dr. King gave to me again, reminded me again as I read it, uh, the letters from jail, is that, is that he not only maps out a process, we can solve this problem if you'll just listen and we can talk reasonably. And he was all about peaceable consideration and open dialogue. But he saw God in this, so it was bigger than just him or bigger than just the United States. So he was very, um, he was very patient, but at the same time, he was very justice-driven and yet he was nonviolent. He seemed to model for me what I need to do. You see, because love extends to every life ethnicity. God loves every ethnicity. Now, we love that, except when it's an ethnicity we don't love. Right? I mean, that's just the way it is. And, and so... You know, the, the recent chat has been Black Lives Matter, and we say, yes, it does, and others say, well, how could you do that? You left out others, and you say, well, I, I don't understand that, and that's probably a good answer. There's a stir over that. Don't miss out the point. You could, you could miss out the point if you're not careful. Let me encourage you to, to commit to heart, Ephesians 4.29. Don't let unwholesome talk come from your mouth. Don't do it. People want to get you there. They want to bait you. They want to get you there to retaliate. Don't go there. But only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs. So when you speak, you speak not to let off steam or to, or to meet your own need. You speak to the need of the other. And you do it that it may benefit those who listen. So even when you speak, it isn't to prove a point or make your mark or to relieve steam or to let off something that you just need to get out of your system. No, that's not the reason for speech. The reason for speech is to bring understanding, and you want to do it from their perspective, not your own. You do nothing from selfish ambition, Philippians 2, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Others. How would they feel if I did that? How would you feel if I did that? I, that's why I have to approach it. The message puts it, forget yourself long enough Reminded of John the Baptist. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. He says, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. What does he say about him? He says about Jesus. He's got to increase what happens to me. I have to, John said, I have to decrease. And in our discussions, that's, if we're going to be like Jesus, that's what we have to do. We have to decrease so he can increase. Look at it from someone else's perspective. You have your own angle down. You have your own perspective down. That's okay to have that perspective. But God may have those friends in your life to bring you a greater, better perspective. So then you could flip that question. Why wouldn't black lives matter? Or why wouldn't all lives matter? Why wouldn't every person matter? We're a nation of over 300 million people. 
And in a world economy, we need every person in America as their contribution. Everybody can bring something, something to the table. When you step onto the street, the reason it's clean is because there was an African-American by the name of Charles Brooks who invented the self-powered street cleaning machine. Charles Brooks, a black guy. On that same street, you're going to see refrigerated trucks that maybe brought your box of, of lettuce or whatever it is that you buy in the box, whatever the salad mix is. That refrigerated truck was invented by Fred Jones, another African-American who, interestingly enough, has also has Irish roots. He would later develop that same refrigerator truck kind of technology, and he'd get it onto airplanes, trains, and boats. Jones is also accredited with developing talking movies. It was Lewis Lattimore, who's the, the co-inventor of the railroad water closet. <laughs> That's a bathroom on the train. Can I get an amen? <laughs> oh my gosh, I could love this guy. When I get to heaven, thank you, buddy, thank you. He went to work for Alexander Graham Bell in helping develop hearing aid devices for children. So he wasn't just good with plumbing. He was, he was good electronically. This guy had to be a master guy. And, and he actually, by trade, was a draftsman. So he actually drew out the plans for Graham, Alexander Graham Bell so Bell could get this to the patent office. I hope you get this down. In other words, when you see a successful guy, there might be two or three other guys behind him. Louis Latimer is one of those guys. He went to work for a company that would develop the light bulb, and in the light bulb, Thomas, Edison, uh, Thomas Alva Edison, you know, developed the light bulb. He invented it, but it kept, the filament kept burning out too quickly, and, and so the, there wasn't good shelf life on the bulbs. He didn't have a good life. And it was Louis Lat Latimer who invented a system of putting a vacuum on that tube to let that bulb burn longer, and, and guess who found out? Thomas Edison. And guess what he did? He recruited him onto his staff, <laughs> hired him onto his crew, and off they went inventing more things. Latimer, a black guy, made a great contribution to our lives today that we don't even think about. When you walk in a room, you just flip a switch and on goes a light, thanks to a guy like Latimer. It was Garrett Morgan, an African-American from Cleveland, Ohio, who gave us the protective hood, which would be later developed as a gas mask for war in World War I. He also invented the traffic signal. Curse him. <laughs> right? Yes. The traffic signal. But you might know of Garrett Morgan because there's a metro stop in Landover called Morgan Stop. And that train platform is named after Garrett Morgan. It was Henrietta Bradbury who invented the underwater cannon. We call it torpedo for uh, ships and subs, submarines. Valerie Thomas became an accomplished uh, uh, data pro processing person, strong in mathematics. She developed the three-dimensional illusion-type TV. Uh, she also designed computer programs to assist uh, in, in uh, related studies as it relates to the Halley's Comet, other space exploration. The list could go on. Uh, other African-Americans like Otis Boykin, the resistor for radios, and TVs, uh, Patricia Bath, the laser removal, Shelby Davidson, the adding machine, Percy Julian, the chemist teacher who developed cost-effective medicines that we enjoy today. All of these were African-Americans who made great contribution and made our lives better. And, and all I did was I just took African-Americans from the United States, a very small group, and only inventors. 
I didn't go into the world of teaching and of science and of entertainment and of uh, philosophy, industrialists, military, social science contributors. Uh, there's another whole world more, and I've only given you a handful now, and I'm telling you, everyone can bring something to the table so all lives ultimately matter because we need the contribution of all people to make the country great, to make our world a better place because everybody has something to offer because before God, all lives really matter, and Jesus loves each and every, not just all the lives, but each and every life. That, extend, that extends to every stage, every challenge, every ethnicity, and I want to give you one more, and it's lives everywhere. That kind of love extends to life everywhere. We began with the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. That's the story of Jesus really at some, uh, about A.D. 30, and uh, it was probably written about A.D. 70, so a few years later, but written about A.D. 30, about that time. And so when you turn to 1 John chapter 3, now it's maybe 80, A.D. 80 or closer to 90, 85. And now there are false teachers who have infiltrated the assembly and the gospel is not just for Jews, it's now with Palestinians and Greeks and Roman citizens, it's a little bit of everywhere. And so now you're feeling this conflicted feeling and, and yet the gospel's going worldwide. It's not just in the Holy Land, in Israel and Palestine. It's now in Turkey, modern day Turkey, all of Asia Minor uh, and uh, what we call Romania today. It's moving upwards, it's in Greece, it's in Rome, it's in Italy, it's in Northern Africa, a country we would call Libya today. It's on the islands of, of Sicily and others, Crete. And now that it's gone worldwide, it's very diverse. And it could be very conflicted. And you would think somehow they would somehow try to want to manage it. You know what the rule is at this point? Now it's years later. And what does John write? First John chapter 3, verse 11. Read it out loud with me, would you? For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Get that? The message isn't changing the direction of this is not changing. The commandment of Christ is not going to change. It'd be understandable now, but since it's gone worldwide, we have to organize this, we have to categorize it, we have to make some rules. No. If you would just learn to love and care for each other, and they're saying, what does that look like? And so John writes it, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. And he really describes it and kind of defines it. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's what love looks like. Someone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need. How can he take no pity on him? How can the love of God be in that person? He's, he's actually questioning, how can you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ and you can't be kind to people? You can't be generous. You can't be compassionate. How can you do this? He says, dear children, do not love with words or speech. Give, stop talking about it. Just do it. Don't love with words or speech, but love in action and in truth. Well, in the U.S. right now, I said 300 million people. We're a little bit over that. And um, so, I mean, just some, these are gumballs. Oh, boy. It's looking good. And I know you're smiling. You want one? Good catch. The green ones are vegetables. The orange ones are fruit. You've just been lied to. 
Suppose I had 300 in here, and I don't. There, that's 300. <laughs> that's the population of the U.S. But let's just suppose for a moment uh, we just keep doing what we've always done, and 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 uh, we take in about one million immigrants every year. And if that's 300 balls, this is a million immigrants outside the U.S. coming into the U.S. And we are what Teddy Roosevelt says. We are a nation of immigrants. It's true. So we, we add one more. And, it, and that costs us a little something. It costs us economy and it costs us time. It costs us a, a lot by a jobs and job market. And we're not sure we can hang on social services. It's a lot. So when someone says, in, in government says, we want to move it to 2 million, Americans go absolutely berserko because we're not sure we can handle two million in there and then do it again the next year. So who deserves to be helped and how, could, how can we help them but who deserves to be helped? Well, the World Bank said this, let's just put a threshold down for the bottom end of poverty. And what we think is a threshold for poverty is about $2 a day. If a person can't make $2 a day, they're below that line. Here's the problem with that. When the World Bank does that, we say, okay, so we can help people who make less than $2 a day. And we're going to help a million of them. That was the one I had, right? We're going to help a million of them at a time. Here's the problem with that. There are 105 million of them in Latin America. So if we only immigrated from Latin America, it would still take us over 100 years to empty this jar 105, and this jar won't stay static because they're going to keep having babies. So there will be more than 105 million by the time we get to the 105-year mark. Do you understand how that won't work? It can't work. You say, well, let's just stop it to 2 million. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that really emptied the jar, didn't it, when I took two out? No, it's, taking two out is not going to solve it. You can't immigrate fast enough. You can't get them enough in here. And about this time, you're saying to yourself, well, let's just adopt and I'm all in favor of adoption. I just read a newspaper article about that recently. <laughs> adoption. I think it's good. Here's the problem with that. You might get a state-ordered adoption with a kid who's been through trauma. Parents are in jail, broken parents are in jail or dead, or have um, run the country, escaped the country or whatever. And so you've got a traumatized kid who's not a baby, who's now maybe seven or eight, ten years old. That adoption might be free or run maybe a thousand to five thousand dollars. That adoption may be relatively inexpensive. But the average adoption in the US right now is averaging around thirty five to forty thousand dollars per child. So you, you can't adopt hundred and five million and it's not gonna work. We don't have the numbers to do it. And then if you adopt outside the US, you're gonna add five to ten grand more. So if you adopt a baby from China, which is, if you, go, if you adopt a baby from China, it's going to be closer to 45,000, and there's almost a guarantee most of the babies coming out of China have cleft palate, which means additional insurance and, and therapy and multiple surgeries and that sort of a thing. So it's going to be expensive, but your number, your starting number is going to be 45 to 50,000, and that's only to get them to your door, into your house. And then you start the process of actually caring for the child and right now, the U.S. government's telling us each child costs us about 11, a little over $11,000 a year. And right now, some dads are going, 
My kids owe me how much? Yeah. I add that levity because it's oppressive, isn't it? And this is just Latin America. You cannot, you, you cannot immigrate this fast enough and make this work. And this is not anti-immigration, not at all. But you do the same thing in Africa, and the numbers are even more staggering. 650 million. So if you could solve this problem in Latin America, you don't stand a snowball's chance in hell, sorry for the language, but you don't stand a chance of solving it in Africa. And if you think Africa is bad, India is 890 million, so it's even more. China is slightly less, only because I put it in a separate country, but if I added it back with its continent of Asia, it's another 810 million plus the 480 million in China, a little over a billion people not making $2 a day. You cannot solve this. And thinking somehow we can just bring them to America and solve it is not going to happen. Okay, that's the depressing thought. As bad as this is, it is actually much worse than you know. Because if you get a kid from China and he comes, he's not your typical kid. You're getting a privileged kid, probably, because he made it to the top of the pile. Now, I knew those stats years ago, and I, I had heard this, but I had never really seen it. And then just uh, a few years ago, I was at a conference, a, a huge conference in Atlanta for ministry people, and there were thousands at the conference. The breakout session for pastors was about 1,500 people. It was, it's huge. And um, I walked in this room to listen to some great sermons, and it, it was everything you could hope for. It's called Catalyst. It's a great conference in Atlanta. But I walked in the room and I looked. I said, oh my gosh, this thing is, this room is white. There's so many white people in the room. I could only, I, and I'm white, and I'm saying it's white. That's white. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I can't, I, there's, I don't think there's 10 people of color in the room. And there's maybe 1,500 in the room. And it's not the, it's not the fault of the conference. It's just the way it went. So I decided, I, uh, this is Dave, this is what I do. So I, I went in, and I found a, a Latino guy sitting by himself. Of course he's by himself. He's the, probably the only Latino in the room. You know? So I sat down next to him. I said, hi, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you? How'd you get here? I, I'm pastor in Dallas. That's wonderful. And then he says, but I'm not from Dallas. I'm, I'm actually from Central America. He tells me his story. And his story goes like this. He says, I'm... Uh, I grew up, and he tells me the country, and we were poor, and I got to this church, and they helped me come to Jesus, and I grew in my faith. It was wonderful, and, and, and I can tell this kid is at the front end of the academics. He's a smart kid, and he's spiritual, and his pastor's bringing him along, and he says, and somebody blessed their heart. Somebody from America said that they would give me some money to go to Fort Worth, Texas to seminary, and for him, that was like going to the Holy Land, or for us, going to Disney, you know? So he... He gets on a plane and he rides to Fort Worth, Texas and someone's paid his bill to go to Fort Worth, Texas to go to seminary. And I'm thinking, this is wonderful. He says, yeah, so I'm, I got into the seminary and I'm thinking language too because I can say hello, uh, 
I could order off of a menu. You can learn a little bit of Spanish just to get on a bus and ride around town. But you aren't going to learn words like atonement, justification. Those aren't normal street terms. And those are what you use in seminary. He says, yeah, I had to take another English class where he could help me into the seminary just to learn the theological jargon. And so it's amazing. This is a sharp kid. This is a smart kid. And he says, and then my senior year, and he lit up. He started to glow. He was so pleased. He said, in my senior year, some guys from, and he tells you the church, he says, some guys came to visit me, and they said, we've heard a lot about you. We hear you have good credentials, and you're a good preacher, and, and we want you to lead our Hispanic ministry at our church. It was a big mega church. And so he says, so that's where I landed. And I said to him, That's wonderful. And see, so he says, so when I graduated, I moved to Dallas, I'm married, I got kids, you know, it's the equivalent, I got a car in the driveway and a swing set in the backyard, you know, it can't get any better. And you know what I thought? He's never going to go back to Central America. He's never going to go. And you know what? Our helping him hurt that country. Do you get this? Because we took a leader out of that country. It's no different than the hundred sheep and the guy with the one sheep, the guy with the hundred sheep steals the one sheep to, it's, it's to, to have a dinner. He's got a hundred sheep of his own. He doesn't need to steal another sheep. And that's just, my heart sank. How could you do this? And so what is helping, you think is helping, is actually hurting these countries. So the only way we're going to do this, you can't bring them in fast enough. And by the way, that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not everybody to move to Jerusalem or to Rome or to Washington or wherever. It isn't to move people. It's to go where they are and change them where they are. So, long story short. Uh, we were wondering how in the world are we going to do this? How could we help them where they are and help them succeed where they are rather than trying to move them? They'll never go back. How can we help them succeed where they are? Well, I found a company in Colorado Springs. It's called Children's Hope Chest. And they have done a magnificent job of helping people survive and then to grow and then thrive and then ultimately succeed. And they do it with people in place. And the real benefit of this is we could do it as, we could change a whole village if we do it all together. But we have to do it together. It doesn't work if we don't do it together. And so I, I've invited some people from Children's Hope Chest to talk about that with you this morning. And uh, Ken, Ken Sparks, there you are, bud. Lost track of you. Chris Burley, man, you're, and uh, Keith Williamson. Keith's one of our own elders. There you are, dude. Man, I, I just lost you. I lose the visual. And I looked. <laughs> so uh, join me in welcoming these guys to the stage, would you? Welcome. Welcome back, man. Hello again. Ken is the CEO of, of uh, Children's Hope Chess. Chris is uh, the partner relationships guy. And you know Keith, I'm gonna, this is the home run hitter here. Um, so Ken, talk to us about Hope Chess. What do you do? How do we do this? How do we partner with you? Well, first of all, thank you and greetings from Colorado. Uh, the snowstorm you got last weekend Chris and I are going to try to beat another one home today. Yeah. We're supposed to get pounded with uh, anywhere from 5 to 36 inches of snow. It depends on how far the low tracks across. 5 to 36. Yeah. It just happens that way there. It, at that point, it's, it, it'll, it might snow. Maybe it won't. <laughs> That's what they're saying. 
Yep. So in any event, greetings from Colorado. Uh, Hope Chest is an organization that has been in existence for 20 years. We started with uh, connecting churches here in the U.S. with Russian orphanages. And for the first 11, 12 years of the, of the operations, that was our focus. And then in about 2007, pardon me, 2007, we started to expand around the world. And now we work in nine different countries, one of which is Guatemala. Um, and what we do is we connect you as a congregation to a, an impoverished community that has a high number of vulnerable children and orphans. Um, and it's important to understand orphans, the word orphans. Um, you may think of an orphan as one that is lost both parents, and that's very true. I mean, there are, there are at least um, 20 million children around the world that have lost both parents. But there's a, a huge number that are single parent orphans or what we call social orphans, where the families in which or their, their, the homesteads in which they live, they cannot survive. I mean, it is, it is a subsistence living. And what we do as an organization is help you come alongside a very specific and chosen care point, what we call a care point, in a country where we have identified an opportunity in that community. We have indigenous staff uh, around the world in each of the countries we work. So similar to what Dave was describing, we're investing in those people in Guatemala who are leaders in Guatemala. And then they are in turn investing in the communities and in their own country by being employees of ours and then helping communities in their um, country begin to move out of poverty. And it starts through sponsorship of a child. And that's what we're launching today, but we're not just launching sp sponsorship. We're not, we're not here today and then gone tomorrow and you're gonna basically you know, support a child through Hope Chest. No, you as a community, as a church, are embarking on a partnership with a community in Guatemala. And out of that partnership, you have an opportunity today to choose a child that you can help invest in and help that child have a hope and a future because most of them or all of them enrolled in our program are literally surviving day to day uh, and when they attend one of our care points um, they typically are getting the only meal a day that they they eat um, they get enrolled back into school because their families or the caretakers of them cannot afford for them to be enrolled in school. Even though school is free, they have to pay for the school supplies or they have to buy the uniforms. Their families cannot afford that, so the children don't go to school. And in this particular case in the Bethlehem community, it's an agrarian community, so the kids are often in the fields working to try to help raise money for the family because they can't afford to send them to school. So uh, your partnership really does begin to change the destiny, not only today's destiny, but the eternal destiny of that child because everything we do is based in a Christ-based approach. It's a Christian approach to um, investing in them and not creating donor dependency. Um, our phases are um, survive, thrive, and succeed, as Dave had mentioned. And survive is helping them just handle the day-to-day -day needs so that they can begin to work on and focus on the future tomorrow and then beyond. And um, so your partnership helps fund those activities that get them in that survive mode. Then as a community, you'll have an opportunity to rally around a development plan that we put in place for Bethlehem. And that is developed in concert with the leadership at the Bethlehem Care Point. So they're the ones that are deciding what is their vision? What is their dream? How do they envision um, a partnered church like you coming alongside them to, to help them realize the assets that they already have there? Uh, 
And then third is the opportunity for you as a congregation to travel, to go and visit these children, to build relationship with them and their caretakers and the leadership of the, of the community. And so um, it is not only child sponsorship, but it's investing in the community and, and helping with changing that community for eternity. Let me, let me cut in just for a second. So we've been talking about 38, and what's the numbers? That's the monthly dollar amount. And let's just suppose you take a child, and then in a year for, or two from now, um, you're a mom there, and you have a teenage daughter or son who's 15 years old, and two years from now, you're going to take your summer vacation and go to Guatemala to this village called Bethlehem, and you'll spend a week and run VBS or help do some things in the village with the kids that you sponsor. And then when you come back, you'll report to us about other people's sponsored kids. It's a very relational thing, and a team could do that every year. And so you, might, you won't get to go every year. Only I get to do that. No, just kidding. I don't get to do that. But you understand, you, you can't go every time, but you could be one of them that would get to go. And that's the relationship piece I really, really like. So how do I do that, Chris? I, it's just talk through the mechanics of this. You're the field guy for us. You're sure. our rep, right? <clears throat> exactly. We, we want to make something, have something tangible for you, um, and that is sponsorship. And so when you um, exit the auditorium and you go into the lobby, you'll see um, small profile cards pinned up on, on some boards. Um, and we would love for you to take a moment and walk by those and decide who you would want to sponsor. And then there are volunteers in orange shirts with a Guatemalan flag on the back who would love to help get that set up. Um, as a community, as has been has been uh, highlighted before, you are partnering with this care point in Guatemala as a community. But they, but individually, you are also going to be sponsoring children that are at, at that at that care point. So we would love for you um, to do that this morning. Um, and it, as as they said, it's thirty eight dollars a month. But it, we don't want sponsors to just say, "Hey, here's some money and go do what you're going to do with it." Uh, we, we want sponsors to pray for those kids that are in Bethlehem. Um, absolutely pray for them. And we would love for you to write letters to those kids. And our staff has uh, letter writing activities for kids to write letters back. Um, and that is, has been so amazing to see the correspondence that happens between sponsors and, and children. N not every child is as prone to, to write letters. Some of them are, deal with a lot of trauma in their lives, and so it may be difficult for them to connect with a person that they've never met, who lives far away, um, but we don't want that to, to prevent a sponsor from telling the children that they're sponsoring that they care about them and that they're praying for them, um, to ask them questions about how they're doing. Um, we've heard stories of, of staff members of ours who go uh, meeting with staff in, in uh, Ethiopia or Guatemala or Uganda, and and to hear about the impact that letters from sponsors make in the children's lives. It is incredible um, how, how meaningful that is for them. And so we would love for, for this Sunday for you to take uh, that opportunity to sponsor a child and start that relationship and hopefully go in and see those kids at some point. Mm -hmm. um, we want you to see what is taking place in Guatemala. Um, we know that transformation will take place in Bethlehem, and we also know that Bethlehem is going to transform right. South Potomac. Um, and I'm excited to be able to walk with you and see that transformation. Yeah. Keith, you got to go this last June. We went together. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, it was a lot of Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you probably forgot that. I did forget. 
Thank you for reminding me of that. Okay. Um, yeah, I told the people in the first service I was surprised to hear that Dave's children were adopted, at least That's right. most of them, because yeah. they act just like him. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> when, when I went to, went to Guatemala, I had no real expectations. Um, I was sent to ask and look and observe what was going on and how the organization operated. And so I spent a lot of time with the in-country people they had there. I spent a lot of time talking to Nestor and Mapa, who are their in-country people, and to get to understand what a heart for God they have. And not only that, but what a heart for their people they have. You know, they don't want to see their people spend the rest of their lives taking handouts. They want their people to get a hand up, and that's what this program is about. It's not a never-ending cycle. We actually went to a place there where we got to see where the whole cycle worked, where people didn't have a living, didn't know how to manage making a living, and they went into a program, and now they're actually growing pigs and uh, you know raising pigs and selling piglets and butchering meat. And one group of kids is actually growing mushrooms in their bathroom, and they take them to market and sell them. So they're learning how to sustain themselves daily and not always need someone to come and give them something. So it's really interesting to see that. We actually got to run out to the, to the coast, to the Pacific coast one night and see a group that was being vetted there and how their vision there is they want to actually see cruise ships land there and begin to speak, um, spend time there and spend money there to help improve their country. So a gentleman there is teaching children to speak English because if you can speak English, then you're golden because you can speak to the people coming off of cruise ships and, and things. So that's what he has going there. In Bethlehem, they have another problem there, and that is that they don't speak their own native language, which is Spanish in the country. They speak uh, another, what's the language, Clyde? There you go. Kachikara. It's almost a, a Mayan language. So when we were there, we spoke to an interpreter who interpreted that back to another interpreter who interpreted to the children. However, what we did learn there was that the kids' minds were like sponges. They were just mm -hmm. eager to learn, eager to get to know other people. By the time we left there, we had them, we taught them some words. We taught them, see ya. So as we're leaving, they're all standing in the window, see ya, see ya. So it, it was interesting. This particular place, they have a lot of needs there, but needs that this community here, you know, I always tell you we're a big family. Well, they're part of our family too now because, see, I came in early and adopted my, or sponsored mine early this morning. I wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm not a, a person that likes to tell you what to do and don't do it myself, but I did. I me and Kathy are sponsoring a child, and I think my granddaughter also is going to sponsor one. So um, it's a great program. They do a great job of vetting people. The kids that you will be working with are the absolute most at need kids in this village. And I'm telling you, the only place Dave and I saw hardwood floors were in restaurants and in the, the actual drop-in center. And actually, the biggest place there didn't have a hardwood floor. They were all dirt floors. A lot of these people, they cook inside, so they have other problems. But great program. I'd give it two thumbs up.
I would really encourage you to go out and take on a sponsorship. What else are we missing here? Do you have all the pieces together? Yeah, I think the important thing is to recognize that you as a church are entering into a partnership. And as, as Dave said, it is, it's a collective effort of all of you together that makes the impact. I mean, Christ has called us to reach out to others. And yes, the notion of sponsoring a child just unto itself is a wonderful and noble fulfillment of James 127. But when you come together, sponsor a child, have others sitting next to you in the pew here um, who is sponsoring a child and you're collectively focused yep. on one area in the world. That's how we change this dynamic that Dave so eloquently shared with you relative to the impact of those that are living on less than $2 a day. It's not to give them $2, but to give them an opportunity to change the paradigm in which they live. And that starts with an understanding of who they are in Christ, that, that they are made in the image of God, and that they have the creative capacity to change their future, which many of them don't understand because their culture is one of poverty where they are focused on what am I doing today to actually eat and stay alive. Your notion of tomorrow is a distant thought or not even a thought at all when all you're worried about is, I gotta fill my belly today. And when we're able to change that paradigm is when people start to look not only from downward to thinking about tomorrow, but then having the opportunity to praise God because they are realizing who they are in him and how he has made them. So that's our okay. goal individually and, and collectively for that yeah. community. All right. You guys will be in the lobby, right, to we meet, will. answer questions. Yeah. One more quick thing. Yeah. One of the things that I was really impressed about here is this isn't an open-end thing. The, the kids' faces that you see out there, they only put up the amount of kids that they have room for now in their facilities. So it's not like they're just trying to get money. This is all they can take in right now is what you see out here in the lobby. So um, I was really impressed like that. They're just not asking for a big pool of money. Really, really good, good approach, I think. Yeah. Would you join me in thanking them? Thank, Thank you, you, guys. Let's stand together. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks. Let's sing our way out, shall we? Ernest? <laughs>